And welcome to the Insurance and Injury Law Show. The number to call anytime is 416-216-5910. Savan's email, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And when you got some time, you can cruise over to myaccidentquestions.com or mydisabilityquestions.com. You can look at the questions, ask one, he'll get right back to you if you have any uh, concerns uh, with the topics we're going to take on today. Uh, or otherwise, we always start the show, my friend, with the week that was. I know it's a, a jam-packed one for you. Give us some details. Yeah, John, it's been a very, very busy week. And, uh, you know, after uh, every show that we do, I get a lot of voicemails and I end up calling people back and getting a lot of very interesting stories and unfortunately very sad ones. And, you know, one of the stories I'll tell you about, uh, it's a gentleman that I met with this week and he actually spoke with me a few months back. Uh, He has a lawyer. He has a law from working for him. Uh, But get this, John, and this goes to the point of, uh, you know, what happens when your claim uh, gets started and how long should it take? People always Mm -hmm. ask that. Well, this gentleman was in a car accident. Well, he was on a bicycle. A car hit him uh, in 2008, seven years ago. And, uh, you know, he's come to me because uh, he also had a wrongful dismissal case with his, with, with his previous employer uh, that, that one of our lawyers at the firm helped him with. So mm-hmm. he figured, you know, let's see if I can get some more advice here because the lawyer I have for the, for the car accident case uh, is now really moving the case forward. You know, working with us, he's used to his claims being moving quickly. So, so in any event, so uh, he, he had fairly significant injuries. He actually uh, uh, was working in, in a labor-intensive job and hasn't been able to go back to that job. He was able to get another job down the road. Uh, he had a lot of issues, uh, neurological issues, orthopedic issues as a result of the accident. Uh, he is in his 50s, and he's making about $20,000 less a year now. Now, here's the thing. Uh, the lawyer he has actually uh, started the claim, uh, you know, within a short while after the accident, after 2008. And, and guess what? The claim is at this point only at the midway point of the claim. In other words, we're seven years later. Nothing has happened on the claim except for a few small steps at the beginning. I've seen a settlement proposal that the lawyer prepared for him, for the defendants, for the parties that were at fault here. The proposal is fine. So, you know, when I met with this gentleman yesterday, I said, listen, your lawyer definitely knows what he's doing. I'm seeing everything he put down on paper. Everything makes sense to me, unlike some of the other lawyers mm-hmm. that, you know, I've, I've seen uh, practice. The problem here is that the case is not moving forward. Mm-hmm. And so he was asking me, well, what can I do? I said, well, there's a problem here because, you know, it doesn't make sense for you to jump ship, to switch to another lawyer, whether it's me or anyone else. Too close on, to the finish line, right? Too close to the finish line, yeah. exactly. On the, on the other hand, he doesn't know what to do because the claim is stale. And this is, this is a big chronic problem in the court system that you have all these cases that are started. And for whatever reason, lawyers just shelve these cases. They don't move them forward. And he's been telling me what's been happening on the case. And I, I got to tell you, John, you know, when, when you have a case, when you're dealing with a car accident, you're always dealing with two issues. The first issue is who's at fault for the accident. Yeah. And number two, what are the damages and injuries? And in that particular case, for whatever reason, the lawyer is focusing on who's at fault. Well, it's clear who's at fault. It's not this gentleman who's on the bicycle. In fact, the other guy was charged. So why is it that the lawyer is focusing so much energy on who's at fault for the accident, and he hasn't even sent this gentleman to any, to any doctors yet? He hasn't have, had him seen by any experts. Seven years. In. Seven years. There's no mediation date. There's no, there's no, no date on the horizon for resolving the claim. You know, and the problem is that this guy, you know, has been struggling financially. He has a mortgage. He has a family. He doesn't know what to do. And, and you know, he's trying to get a hold of his lawyer. It's difficult. He's speaking with the assistant. 
So, again, you know, lesson to the wise. By the way, John, this case, I, I assessed it without even seeing all of the documents just by getting the preliminary information and it being worth about three hundred to $500,000. Wow. Isn't there an expiration date on something? Seven years? Can't the insurance company say, uh, what case? I'm sorry, how long ago was that? Well, interestingly enough, the uh, the insurance lawyers on this case are not moving the, the case forward either. Which why of would course, they? Exactly. Why would they? Hmm. Uh, you know, in terms of expiration, this, this is this is the case in Hamilton. It's not in Toronto. In Toronto, we now have actually a new... new new uh, amendments to, to the rules of civil procedure that if a claim gets started within five years, if it's not going ahead and, and being resolved, uh, you know, it's not being put down for trial, as they say, right. uh, it, it expires. It, it, it gets dismissed automatically. Now, Hamilton, different jurisdictions, they all do things a bit differently. The point is that this is a case that ought to have resolved within two or three years max. And now this guy doesn't know what to do. He's got debts through the wazoo. He, he's, he's desperate. He's absolutely desperate. So I'm, I'm looking at him and I'm telling him, listen, the good news is that your lawyer knows what he's doing from a substantive standpoint. The bad news is that you need to get on this lawyer. You need to meet with him. You need to tell him, you got to move my case forward. So for all of you out there who have cases that are ongoing, these cases should not be taking a long time. If they're taking years upon years upon years, or if you are injured and your claim hasn't even started six months after the accident, a year after the accident, there is a problem here. Okay, you have to find out why. Okay, so there's the first one. We'll get to more of this. Uh, what else happened this week? Well, I had another very interesting case. This is a gentleman who had called me because his mother-in-law uh, had fractured their hip, and, and he, he didn't really know when. Uh, he, he thought it was about two years ago or so. Uh, and, and you know, John, as, as we've spoken before, there is a limitation uh, mm-hmm. for, for starting these kinds of claims. It's a two-year limitation from when the injury happened, from when the accident happened. Uh, so in any event, this is a fairly serious case. His mother-in-law is 94 years old. Uh, she lives in a rent-controlled building. Uh, there was some issue with bed bugs. There was a company that came in. Long story short, because of something they did, mm-hmm. she fell, fractured her hip. She had to be taken to hospital. She had the hip replaced, rods put in place. It, 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 was, it was crazy. And, of course, since then, her care or the costs of her care and the amount of time the family had to spend was just immense. Well, guess what? Here's the reason he called, because he heard the show, and he heard me talk about hip fractures. Smart. Smart, except that, and, and, and one of the reasons as well is that apparently now there's been issues with, with the rods that were put in, and there's an infection. So guess what? She now underwent a second surgery. They don't even know if she's going to make it. I don't know what happened with the second surgery, wow. but... You know, so of course, my first question to him was, "Well, give me the exact date. When did the initial injury happen?" We'll take a short break. Hold it right there, and we'll get to more of this. You have questions for Savannah? Easy help at theinsurancelawyer.ca, and his uh, number anytime outside of show hours as well. Now, you've heard him talk about this show four one six two one six fifty nine ten. More of the insurance and injury law show coming up. Talk radio AM six forty, and back indeed with more of the insurance and injury law show. The number to get a hold of Savannah anytime four one six two one six fifty nine ten, and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Uh, just just before the break, we're talking about a case, uh, part of the week that was segment here, and uh, you're talking about a hip um, hip replacement went wrong, back into surgery, right? Yes, okay. back into surgery because it was an infection. This is a 94 year old lady. Uh, you know, the family is very concerned. A lot of time was spent caring for her, uh, as it should have been. A lot of expenses, and, and you know, from what I understood, there is no question that the company here who came and, and took care of those bed bugs were responsible for her fracture. Now. What was the question I asked the son-in-law? I said, find me immediately. T- talk, to the, t- talk to your wife. Uh, f- find out immediately what was the date of that accident when this happened. Well, guess what, John? It was three and a half years ago. Oh, boy. There's nothing I can do. Seriously. And, and here's uh. the thing. I've dealt with these cases before, both on behalf of injured individuals and as a defense lawyer working for insurance companies. 
hip fractures, the monetary value that courts put on those range anywhere from $90,000 to $120,000. That's for just a, a, a hip replacement, hip fracture you know, situation. And, and that's just for the pain and suffering. I mean, what about the care, the cost of care? I mean, a case like that, I remember resolving one a few years back when I was doing insurance law um, you know, for, for, for a prominent insurance company. And my client ended up paying $450,000 on a fracture, on a hip fracture claim. Because there's a lot of things around it. It's not just the pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of things, housekeeping, mobility, who's going to do the shopping, mobility. Stuff, yeah. yeah, the person is with a walker. So again, word to the wise, if something like this happened, even if it's not to you, if it's to a family member, it's to a friend, Tell them to take action. I mean, they have nothing to lose by giving me a call. Nothing. Yeah, the worst you can nothing. say is, no, you don't have a case. Have a nice day. Bye. Good. Sure. I know. And, and John, maybe I'll tell them they have a case. Mm-hmm. They don't have to come with me, with my team, as long as they know what their options are. This is, the, this is the thing. I mean, when someone doesn't make a claim for compensation for injuries and they are entitled to make that compensation for, for that claim, they're effectively giving a gift to the insurance company Absolutely. because under the law, they're entitled to that money. It's to compensate them. It's not to give them, uh, you know, a... a, a, a uh, it's not a windfall. It's not a so, windfall. It's yeah. not a lottery. This, yeah. this is money you're supposed to... It's supposed to help you to yeah. survive. What's your uh, third case? Interesting one here. The third case is really interesting. And, uh, you know, th- this, is, uh, this is a case with a, a grandfather that actually called me uh, earlier this week. And he called me because his granddaughter was in a car accident, a fairly serious one up in Barrie uh, last September. Uh, she's 21 years old. She currently has a lawyer, although it seems like the lawyer is not really doing much on this claim. Let's put it this way. Uh, th- this girl apparently has been, has been suffering from, uh, from concussion. She's had dizziness, memory loss, concentration issues, mm-hmm. all classical signs of a potential mild traumatic brain injury. And guess what, John? You know what he told me when I spoke with him? He says that she has an appointment next week at the concussion clinic at Sunnybrook. It's not a concussion clinic. No. It's, it's the brain injury clinic at Sunnybrook. Mm-hmm. And, and this is something that, unfortunately, a lot of people who are in accidents, uh, they, they don't recognize. Of course, they wouldn't. They're not medical practitioners. But their doctors don't even recognize. In this case, at least it's being investigated, and we'll see what happens. But, you know, people should be aware that if you are experiencing after an accident dizziness, you're vomiting, you know, you hit your head on, on the windshield, something like that. You know, there's all these symptoms that I'll go through in a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you have to make sure that those are investigated. You may have to go to Sunnybrook or to another clinic somewhere where they're specialized in head injuries. Very, very important. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's, it's just like stroke and those kinds of, uh, of, of serious inju- serious you know, illnesses and injuries, if you don't take care of them, if there's no treatments or diagnosis uh, fairly quickly, the, the, the prognosis is, is going to be hindered. And, and so you may be in a situation where, you know, you're suffering from all these symptoms, nothing is happening, you're taking a passive approach because you're assuming your doctor knows what they're doing. Meanwhile, they're not sending you for an investigations and you're going to end up with an extremely serious injury. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Let me ask you this question, though. How, how frequently do your clients recover compensation for their injuries? Uh, they, they recover compensation quite often, and the reason why they recover quite often is because I don't take a case on unless I think the person is, is truly entitled to compensation. Right. In fact, I had a gentleman come in with his wife uh, earlier this week, and again, after listening to the show, uh, he he had uh, he had an accident, and this is one of those rare instances, by the way, where you have someone who has a dash cam on their car, 
And so it actually recorded the accident. So and not living in Russia. No, not living in Russia, exactly. <laughs> or, or, or Cuba or anywhere right. else like that. No, he had a dash cam and it recorded the accident. So there's no question that the other driver is at fault for the accident. Well, this gentleman has a very physical job. Um, and, and it seems his, his, his right arm, right shoulder is really bothering him. Mm-hmm. And so he went for an investigation to, his, uh, to a walking clinic, to a doctor. And, and they've now scheduled him for an MRI, and they're going to do an investigation to figure out what is going on. This guy is young. I mean, he's almost 40 years old, uh, so he's 39. Uh, he's making nice coin, yeah. uh, doing a physical job, and he's very, very concerned. And so when he came to me and said, well, what can I do? I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start the process. Uh, you know, it doesn't cost you anything, nothing, uh, nothing up front. Uh, and, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to start the process. We're going to see where it takes us. In March, you're going to have this MRI. We're going to see what the diagnosis is. If it turns out that it's a serious injury like a tear or anything neurological that you know, is going to affect your future, we're going to start a claim against whoever was at fault here. If it's not, we're not. So his question, his wife's question was, well, okay, but you've done all this work. Yeah, we've done all this work, and we may not get paid because there might not be a claim down the road, but so what? At least I'm telling you the truth. I'm telling you that we're only going to start a claim if we think that we yep. can recover for you. I'm not going to drag you through a process, which I know many, many lawyers do. Many law firms do. They operate like factories. We don't operate like that. Every case is individual. Every case is fact-specific. We'll take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to give you the, the chart, a very interesting chart of giving value to your pain and injury. Uh, the number in the meantime, 416-216-5910. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca to get a hold of Savan there as well. The Insurance and Injury Law Show continues on Talk Radio AM 640. And back with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show here on Talk Radio AM 640. 416-216-5910. That is Savan's private numbers, personal numbers. Got it on them right now. And help at theinsurancelawyer.ca to uh, ask any questions via email. Mentioned this before the break, though. I think in the States they call this the meat chart, right? This right. is where you... Uh, <laughs> that's a nice term. Um, pretty much giving you an idea of value for pain and suffering and some common injuries. Let's start... Um, I'll just pick one out. I'll spin the wheel. Uh, neck pain and back pain. Well, neck pain and back pain, which you see quite commonly. In fact, I would say it's about 80% of injuries we see uh, from car accidents specifically. Uh, those get valued depending on the impact on the person. So you can have someone with neck pain and back pain, and they can go to work, and you can have someone with neck pain and back pain that's so debilitating that they're pretty much almost paralyzed. So, you know, the, the general ranges, if I were to start a claim, you're probably looking at anywhere from thirty to $60,000 in pain and suffering. Generally speaking, car accident claims, neck pain and back pain that persists, that's a chronic issue, I usually resolve those for about $40,000, $45,000 for the pain and suffering component only. We're going to talk about the other components of compensation. So just for pain and suffering, neck pain, back pain that's chronic, let's say around $40,000, $50,000 on average. And that's just, quote, pain. Like, that's shocking. I'm surprised it's that much for just pain and suffering because we're not talking a broken limb or a tear. You're just talking back pain and neck pain, You're chronic, talking about right? Ba- right, exactly. Wow. But keep in mind, John, that it depends on the age of the person. It depends yeah. on what they do. I mean, it will... It, it, there's been cases out there, believe it or not, where chronic pain, no tears, no nothing broken, just paralyzing pain that is soft tissue in nature. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, there's been cases where they've gone above a hundred thousand dollars for pain and suffering alone, let alone all the other components of compensation like income loss, housekeeping benefits, and all that. How about sometimes you know it's a it's a common thing when you get into a, a, a collision. You know, sometimes you'll have your foot jammed on the brake pedal. Wham! There's a collision. All of a sudden, you got a fractured ankle, right? You got a, a broken ankle. Is there a compensation for that? A level? Absolutely, a hundred percent. 
and again, fractured ankles are, are in a separate category as well. And because, you know, really you're dealing with someone's mobility, mm-hmm. uh, especially if they have a physical job or, you know, they're a young person. How's that going to translate into uh, future conditions like osteoarthritis and all those kinds of things? Uh, you know, fractured ankles, generally speaking, again, depending on what happens, do you need surgery? Do you not? Do you need subsequent surgery to repair, you know, what's, what's been happening? Uh, you're looking generally at thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars generally for these kinds of injuries. So, I mean, if I were to just, you know, think uh, on average, I would say that for a fractured ankle uh, requiring surgery, I would usually get around forty, forty-five thousand dollars from the insurance company. The number is four one six two one six fifty nine ten to get a hold of Savan. That's his own number and help at the insurancelawyer.ca. Talking about the value of injuries that are basically out there for compensation. You know, I had a friend who, uh, in fact, he's still he's still getting over it. It wasn't a car accident, but he had a knee replaced. And, um, you know, when he had it done, he asked the doctor, how does it go? He goes, basically, we put your leg in a miter box like you would for woodworking. We cut one end there, cut one end there, take it out, put it in a new piece. And he is still, he says, all the medication he's on now, the pain, it's just not helping. It's just throbbing constantly. And that was a, that's not an injury. This is a specific operation done in detail with, you know, proper instruments. So I figured that busted knee has got to be worth some coin in a, in a collision, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, with knee injuries, just like a lot of other joints, we see, we see, uh, um, a variety of types of injuries. We see tears of the meniscus. Uh, you know, we see uh, someone orthopedic injuries, like a broken bone, where we need uh, a knee replacement or arthroscopic surgery. A whole bunch of things that can happen. So it really, again, does depend on the significance of the injury. Are we talking about a chipped bone? Or are we talking about a full tear of the meniscus? Mm-hmm. What are we talking about? Generally speaking, when I'm looking at tears or even fractures with surgery, I'm looking, again, depending on the impact on ability to earn income, fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars and and again, every fact sorry every case is fact specific, but generally speaking, if I'm thinking about a, a busted knee as you put it, depending on the significance on average, I would say about fifty sixty thousand dollars because again it's joint and it's mobility right it's mobility exactly yeah. exactly how about um you mentioned this in several shows since we started doing this program a torn or frozen shoulder right and, and that's also very important in fact, the gentleman that I was talking about uh, earlier, the one um, who works his physical job who uh, has this issue with the, with the right arm it, it's a right arm and shoulder issue and and you know one of the things I ask when someone comes to me and says that they have an issue with their hand their arm their shoulder is I say well uh, are you right hand dominant or left hand dominant because Why? obviously but, well that's going to affect you if you're right hand dominant and this gentleman by the way is just imagine what happens if he's got a neurological injury uh, what, what's happening if it's a long-standing injury to his dominant hand dominant arm right I mean again the effect is more than if it was not dominant uh, it, it's it, it's all taken into account, uh, you know, along with the age, along with the significance of, of the injury and the impact on everything uh, from uh, doing things at home to working, etc. So torn shoulders, frozen shoulders, you know, you see awards for those in the 60s, 70s, 80s, even $90,000. Because it's a weird joint, too, because it's the only one in the body that's really, yes. except for the hip, that's almost 360, right? It goes all the way around. So right. It's not a back and forth exactly. joint, right? Very exactly. strange. Um, you mentioned this uh, off the top with neck and back pain, but I'll touch on this uh, briefly before we take a break. How about paralysis? Paralysis is, uh, is a, you know, it's, it's one of those types of injuries that, you know, you never, well, you don't wish any injury on anyone, but paralysis is one of those that you really don't wish on anyone. And, of course, you know, you can have a full paralysis. You can have from the waist down. This is where you get into the six figures in terms of the pain and suffering, $150,000, $250,000. When someone comes to me and says, well, what is my injury worth? They're not asking me because they are greedy. They're asking me because they want to have an understanding, an idea of what it is they can expect. 
So what I tell them is I, I do the exact thing that I'm doing right now. I'm giving them an idea of what the injuries are, are worth or valued at by, by courts across the country. Well, John, do you know what is the maximum award for pain and suffering that you can get in Canada nowadays? Two, just, just for pain and suffering. 200 no, the maximum award is three. It's about three hundred and fifty thousand dollars in today's dollars, mm-hmm. and that dates back to cases from the Supreme Court of Canada dating back years back. Uh, and and this is when the Supreme Court of Canada said, you know, we're not going to be awarding millions of dollars it's for pain and states. suffering. It's not the states, but but you know what? The reason why these kinds of cases, paralysis cases, uh, brain injury cases, why those cases get valued at millions of dollars, is because imagine the impact mm-hmm. on the family. Imagine if this person is forty five years old is now paralyzed, they can't work. They were the earning breadwinner. Exactly. So imagine the other components of compensation. And we've spoken a lot, you know, about that before, that I, you know, a lot of times when people come to me for second opinions, uh, it's because they're concerned. They're really, really injured, and yet their lawyer is telling them to settle for what I consider to be a fraction of what their damages should be okay. because the lawyer is not taking into account all the components of compensation. There's one more injury we didn't get to. It's the big one, and we'll do that after a short break. 416-216-5910. Help at theinsurancelawyer.ca through email. More of the Insurance and Injury Law Show coming up on Talk Radio AM 640. And back with more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show. This is Talk Radio AM 640. 416-216-5910. That's the van's number. And help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Uh, we're just going to wrap this up. We're giving values for pain and suffering approximately what they're worth, uh, recorded cases and, and cases you've dealt with, of course, in your practice. The last one, the big one, brain injury. Yeah, brain injury, again, one of those injuries that uh, you just cringe whenever you see someone that potentially has that uh, or, or that you know has that. And, and you know, uh, in 2012, Sunnybrook came out uh, with a press release, and, and they were talking specifically about a condition called mild traumatic brain injury. And, you know, defense lawyers uh, who work for insurance companies oftentimes play down what a, trauma- what a mild traumatic brain injury is. And, and again, keep in mind, a brain injury is a brain injury mm-hmm. is a brain injury. It means that your core functioning, cognitive functioning are impaired. And it's so key, it's so important to make sure that it gets checked out and that everything gets investigated uh, thoroughly. Uh, so I'm just going to read you something from this press release because it's really important for the listeners to know. Uh, they said mild traumatic brain injury, one of the most common neurological disorders, affects between 500 and 650 individuals per 100,000 in Ontario and accounts for about 85% of all head injuries. While the prognosis after a mild tra- traumatic brain injury is generally good, approximately 10 to 15% of these individuals will still have residual symptoms after the one-year mark and risk having a poor outcome of their recovery. Now, they also outline um, the symptoms of uh, traumatic brain injury. Uh, And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if some of our listeners who've been in accidents or know someone who's been in an accident will recognize these symptoms. So I'm quoting here, persistent symptoms of traumatic brain injury can include post-traumatic headache, sleep disturbance, disorders of balance, cognitive impairments, fatigue, and mood or anxiety disorders, each of which can result in significant functional limitations for a patient who has suffered a mild traumatic brain injury. See, now all those except for a couple just sound like someone's, you know, I, I'm not sleeping right. well or I just, you know, I'm a little anxious. They might just think it's life. They might think that. Right? That's they the might problem. Think that. And that's the thing. And maybe it is. Maybe, maybe there's nothing to it, but right. you have to get it checked out. Yeah. Uh, you know, John, one of the first people that called me after uh, we started the show uh, was a lady who was involved in a car accident. Uh, we spoke about that, actually, in one of the earlier shows. Uh, about a year ago, a little bit over a year ago, and it's because her husband was listening to the show and he told her to call me. She had a lawyer. 
and uh, the lawyer hadn't filed a claim for almost a year for her injury. She wasn't at fault for the accident. And, and this, this lady is being treated at Sunnybrook, at the brain injury clinic. And you know, John, when I finally took over the case and I saw the claim that the lawyer was going to file, I reviewed that claim. There was no mention of brain injury in the claim. Smart. Can you imagine that? You're making a claim for this person's injury. This is an extremely, extremely significant injury that's going to have repercussions for her and her family for the rest of her life. She can't work now. Uh, and incidentally, she actually was training for a job in the financial sector at the time of the accident. Crazy. So, again, really important that people recognize these symptoms, that they press their doctors for an investigation because sometimes you think, oh, it's just, you know, uh, just fatigue or dizziness. Yeah. No, 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 no. These things have to be checked out, if not for legal reasons, for pure medical reasons to make sure that you are, you know, that you know what's going on with you. Mm-hmm. It's just it's, it's baffling to me when I see these kinds of injuries that, 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 that simply, you know, just go undiagnosed and then the person suffers for the rest of their lives. Or it could get worse potentially with years, right? Right. And I'm not even talking about the fact that I myself as a defense lawyer and, you know, having worked for insurance companies in the past, haven't been able to settle cases where clearly there were indications in the medical records that the individual that was making a claim suffered some kind of a cognitive impairment and the lawyer wasn't picking up on that. And, and you know, I, I settled the claim, these kinds of claims, a lot of times for a fraction of what the, the value really was. 416-216-5910 and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. So far, the theme of this show really has been pain and suffering. But is there compensation um, only about pain and suffering or is there a lot more? No, there's a lot more. In fact, a lot of times, in a lot of cases, the pain and suffering component of a personal injury claim is, believe it or not, one of the smallest components. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Uh, you know, you can have, for example, an injury. I'll give you an example of a case that I had resolved um, uh, just a few months ago. Uh, this was a lady who was in her mid-40s. Uh, she was a nurse, an emergency uh, room nurse, and, and she suffered a slip and fall in a store. Very simple case from a fault standpoint. The store was negligent. I mean, they, you know... There didn't was, have the yellow sign up or didn't whatever. Didn't have anything, exactly. And in fact, you know, their defense lawyer, at, you know, as the case progressed, actually insinuated to me, look, off the record, we really are at fault here. There's going to be some contributory negligence because she wasn't looking where she was going. That's what he was alleging. But anyways, going back to the damages, she suffered a fractured right knee. She had to have uh, surgery. But the thing is, though, something didn't go right. Doctors didn't do anything wrong, but something didn't go right. And now she's left with a slimp and she can't wait bare for more than about half an hour. She can't go back to being an emergency room nurse. Can she get another job? Maybe. But here's the thing. We, we had her seen by a variety of experts, a vocational expert who's going to tell us how is she going to be disadvantaged in her, in her uh, profession? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is that going to translate into in terms of dollars and cents? Remember I said that knee injuries can assess at forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 around that. Yes. Her income calculation, income loss calculations ended up being $450,000 because of the decrease in income that she has to, she has to account for in the future because she can't for do sure. what she was able to do before. So a lot of times we're dealing with other types of, of damages, housekeeping expenses, future rehabilitation that OHIP doesn't cover. Out-of-pocket expenses, going to doctor's appointments, having, you know, the parking receipts, something that simple. If you carry on a claim for a while and, and looking into the future, you're going to have a lot of expenses from your own pocket. If you don't have a health plan, who's going to pay for the medications? I mean, someone's going to have to account for that. That all has to be put together in a package and presented to the other side. 
If you don't, they're not going to remind you of that. The insurance company is going to just be you know, rubbing their hands and think to themselves, that's great. Yeah, keep it down. Keep yeah. it down. We just got a <laughs> yeah. great deal. They just missed X, Y, and Z. So sure, we'll pay them a bit more for pain and suffering. You know, we'll pay them 80 grand for the knee, not 40 or 50 or 60, because they haven't accounted for the fact that this person's owed like 200 grand in, in income loss. So again, you know, you see all kinds of lawyers. Some lawyers are better than others. It's the key is to make sure that all components of compensation are absolutely accounted for. In this city, man, the parking could be more than the pain and suffering over a couple of years. Yes, right? we'll yeah. uh, we'll take a short break. Four one six two one six fifty nine ten and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Lots more of the show coming up. The Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM six forty. The number to call to get a hold is four one six two one six fifty nine ten and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Uh, I keep mentioning the email address, Savannah. Let's bounce over to one. Got from uh, go to Greg in Hamilton. Says I was in a car accident two weeks ago. The other driver made a left-hand turn on a red light and was charged by the police. I'm a bookkeeper and I haven't been able to go back to work yet. My boss called me, said that if I can't come back tomorrow, he'll need to find someone else. My doctor says that I can't go back to work yet. What can I do? I'm stressed out, obviously. Can't afford to... uh for me to lose the job, he needs the gig, but his uh, his you know workplace wants to get rid of him. Right, and, and that's very common. And and you know, of course, when you do uh, the, the show with my partner Lior, who talks about employment issues, you know, listeners know that uh, you know, especially when someone is on disability and there is a medical note uh, that is provided to the employer, mm. the employer better not touch that employee. And I would tell Greg to call us immediately because we can help on both fronts, both with the accident itself and with the employment issue that he's having. One letter from our office, and I, I'm almost guaranteeing you, I can't guarantee anything, but almost guaranteeing you, this employer is going to think long and hard before he does anything to Greg. Uh, now, you know, if the doctor says he can't go back to work, I, I'm going to tell you, Greg, you should listen to your doctor, okay? Provide a medical note that details exactly what happened uh, and why you can't go back, your limitations, uh, your injuries, and, and give that to your, you know, to, to your doctor, uh, you can immediately make a claim uh, with your own insurance company for accident benefits, getting income replacement benefits, getting uh, the rehab that you need. And, and what I would say is that uh, if you really can't go back to work, if if, if, if the injuries are, are significant enough that you think that, you know, this may be a longer term situation. In other words, uh, you know, you're not just going to be back up and running at 100% capacity in a week we should probably think about starting a claim fairly quickly against whoever was at fault for the accident. Again, very important to work on all fronts at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that goes back, John, to what I said before when I spoke about that case uh, you know, with the 2008 in, uh, injury yeah. and that lawyer who's focusing only on the issue of fault. You know, a lot of times lawyers will focus on one step at a time. There is no reason, okay? We're human beings. We, we, we're, not, we're not donkeys. We don't have to do – to take one step at a time. We can do these steps in parallel. Mm-hmm. And, and because a lot of lawyers do it one step at a time uh, without doing them in parallel, the, these claims take on years to resolve. So in this case, Greg, give us a call. Very, very easy situation to resolve with your employer. Trust me, they're not going to touch you. And with your car accident claim, you know, once you call me and I, and I get some more facts from you, then I can tell you exactly what your options are. That number, Greg, 416-216-5910. And you want to throw us a question via email this week, help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Is it a, is it a complicated process? You know, you've heard stories about personal injury claims taking years. Well, the one you talked about was right. seven years and nothing's going on. It's not complicated at all. It's, this is not surgery. I mean, you know, I didn't go into medicine for a reason. I, I just, I'm not built for medicine. You don't but like blood. I don't That's like why. blood, exactly, yeah. Uh, but, you know, the law is not complicated, really not. It's very technical. 
Uh, and, and, you know, you really have to, to, to use your mind to analyze these things. But when I meet with clients, especially clients that have seen other lawyers, not necessarily hired them, but seen them, and I go through the process and we speak about, you know, the steps and in, 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 in the claim, the claims process steps, and they're asking me questions. Should I go back to work? Should I not? How is that going to affect my claim? You know, what can I expect here and there? Once I explain everything to them, they say, oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Why? Because most of it is pure logic. It's not difficult. So these claims, they're not difficult. They shouldn't take a long time to resolve. Uh, whenever it does, like that case that we talked about, 2008 accident, there is a major problem with the way that case is being handled. These claims are not difficult to resolve. They're not. Is there ever a reason uh, like, to not make a claim for compensation or personal injury? No. The, 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 as far as I'm concerned, there isn't. And, and the reason is uh, because of something that I said and I keep saying to people all the time, if, if you are making a claim for compensation and it's a legitimate claim, the law entitles you to ask for that compensation. You are not asking for a lottery win. You're not buying a ticket here. You didn't ask to fall in the store because they weren't doing their job. You didn't ask to be rear-ended you know, on the highway at high speed. You didn't ask for these things. If you are injured, legitimately injured, because someone else was at fault, you can make a claim for compensation. It's that simple. If you don't, it's your choice. And by the way, John, I've encountered enough people out there who, after everything I've explained to them, they said, you know, I just don't want to go through it. Okay, that's fine. That's absolutely your choice. That's a nice gift you're giving to the insurance company. That's a lot of money that potentially you're not giving your family that they're entitled to. But it is your choice. No one is going to come here and force you to make a claim. Got Jessica from Pickering. Another car accident says it was last week on the 401. Says I was struck from uh, from the side by a taxi cab who's trying to change lanes. Both my son and I were injured and taken to the hospital. Can the same lawyer represent both people? That's interesting. That's a very interesting question, and that's a very delicate question. And the reason right. is this. Um, especially in car accident situations where you have multiple people in the car, unless liability or, or fault is absolutely 100% clear. Like, for example, you're stopped at a red light and someone just rams into you from behind. Mm-hmm. It's, it's tricky. It's very dangerous for the same lawyer to represent all the people in the car because, you know, let's take a scenario uh, like here, like uh, Jessica says, she was struck from the side by a taxi cab who was trying to change lanes. Well, I, I want to know some more information. I want to know if the police attended and what, they, what did they say? What was their investigation? Is the taxi cab 100% at fault here or not? As soon as there is any indication that there is potential fault, even 1% on the driver of the vehicle that is coming to me, right. right? then I have to be careful because then the passenger could potentially have a claim for that 1% against that driver. So the, the, the answer is it depends on the case. And in Jessica's case, I would tell her, give me a call, Jessica, and oh. you know, within a few minutes I'll be able to give you more information and, and to really analyze it more. But generally speaking, I am more conservative. I, I, I most of the time don't like to represent the same people in the same car because of that potential conflict. For sure. Uh, there are some lawyers out there who are very greedy who will definitely say, no, no, come here and let's do it. And that poses a whole bunch of issues. Uh, but sometimes you can. Sometimes the scenario is such that liability or fault is a completely uh, a non-issue. And there is no reason why you can't represent both people. We'll take one uh, more break here for the hour. It's uh, 416-216-5910. That is Savan's number and help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. Our final segment, more of the Insurance and Injury Law Show, coming up on Talk Radio AM 640. And back into the Insurance and Injury Law Show here on uh, 640, the number 416-216-5910 to get a hold of Savannah. That number, by the way, is outside of show hours as well. And help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. So how do you, as a, uh, as a lawyer, as a pal, decide uh, to take on a car accident personal injury case? 
Very carefully. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> very, very carefully. Uh, you know, first is uh, I, I want to meet every person that comes through the office. I want to gauge them. I want to figure out if I believe that person or not. Uh, and believe it or not, John, there have been instances where, in fact, I had a gentleman last week that came in and, you know, just the injuries he was telling me that he suffered from the accident didn't make sense. When, when I quizzed him about his income and what's going on and why, you know, he was let go from his last job, you know, things didn't add up. So, really? So, yeah, I, 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 here's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for, uh, when, when I'm taking on a case, I'm looking for, for somebody who's genuine, somebody who really needs help, someone who, uh, you know, I know that I can really help them uh, recover compensation, compensation that they deserve. Uh, you know, if I think that, if I think, for example, that it's a very, very small case, I mean, we're talking about a few thousand dollars, it's not that it's not worth it for me. It's that I don't want to put people through a process you know that that is gonna is you know is, is gonna be a potentially longer process for for the money that is not gonna make sense. You know what I mean? I yeah. mean it, it, it's 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 an evaluation. But look, if I have somebody who slipped and fell and and or, or or you know had a car accident or something like that, and that person is suffering, if the family is going through a lot, if the person has issues with work. If if I think that person is genuine, if I think that person is telling me the truth, if I think that person needs help, I'm taking that case on. I don't care if I'm going to make a buck an hour on it. It doesn't matter to me. I know it's, it sounds you know, like I'm a martyr. I'm not a martyr. I'm not, it's, it's not about that. It's about the fact that certain cases need attention. And, and that's just a reality. It's the same thing with that uh, million-dollar baby case, you know, uh-huh. the one that we talked yep. about that, that I'm dealing with uh, in Saskatchewan. Uh, that's, an, that's a pro bono, but no one is stepping up. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, I'm looking at a case, I'm looking at the value of the case, I'm looking at, at the person that's approaching me, and I'm in general looking at whether or not it makes sense for me and my team, by the way, because it's not just me, it's a whole team to be engaged to try and recover compensation for this individual. We'll get to an email here, one more uh, from Rob, I guess we'll get from Scarborough, said, I had back surgery two years ago and was fine until I was in a car accident about a month ago. The other driver hit me from behind. I have uh, tremendous back pains. What can I do? Is my back surgery two years ago a problem? Very common question. Um, many people who come to me have pre-existing issues. Yeah. Uh, so, so this is something that I see a lot. No, this is not a problem. In fact, when I approach the insurance company with a claim in a case like this, like Rob's, my argument, they're going to argue, listen, the issues he's having now from the car accident are pre-existing, okay? Yeah. He had those from before. Yeah. No, 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 no. This is this is nonsense. If this person had that back surgery before, if he was stable in the months leading up to the accident, and now you caused an accident and you re-aggravated a prior injury, you're on the hook for that re-aggravation. And there is a principle in law called the thin skull rule. It's a thin skull doctrine. I'm not going to go into the legalities here. I'll just tell you, John, that the law recognizes that if someone has a pre-existing issue and you do something, you're negligent, and, and you re-aggravate that condition, you take your victim as you find him, meaning that person who had that pre-existing issue is more vulnerable and should be treated as more vulnerable. It's not their fault that they're more vulnerable. Now, listen, I mean, if the complaints that are being, that, you know, that the individual is complaining about uh, are actually pre-existing, different story. But if the person was stable, it doesn't matter that that person had back surgery before. So, Rob, there is no issue whatsoever with the fact that you had back surgery two years ago. You had a pre-existing condition. It was stable. This person now caused an accident. You are now in a, in a situation where you have to deal with your back again. You are entitled to compensation. There is no question. Could, he be, could it be more compensation in that case? It, it could be because a lot wow. of times when you have these kinds of injuries, whether it's to the knees or anything like that that's pre-existing – 
a lot of times because you're so vulnerable, that impact has not caused more damage than it than it would a healthy knee. Exactly, right. exactly. Right. And, and you see that a lot. And and you know you feel really bad for these people because they certainly didn't deserve to re-aggravate and re-injure yep. that same you know area of the body. Last minute here, just tell us people on the way out what they should be doing if they're in a car accident sometime this winter and they're, or if they've been in one and they're not getting any satisfaction. You have to make sure you get uh, checked medically. You have to make sure that you tell the insurance company about it, your insurance company, uh, and, and you know, give me a call. Give my team a call. You're going to get a call back. You're going to speak with me. You're going to speak with my team. Uh, and you know, we're going to give you your options. You're, you're going to be smarter, let's put it that way. Yeah. You're going to be more knowledgeable after you speak with us uh, than before. It's that simple. Knowledge is power. You're not paying for it, okay? Uh, give us a call, and we will guide you. And if you have questions on the outside, there's a couple of different ways you can field those as well. Myaccidentquestions.com and mydisabilityquestions.com. Chances are whatever you got in mind has probably already been asked, and there's several answers up there from Savan and his team. If not, punch it in there, and he'll get back to you post-haste uh, with an answer. Outside of show hours, which is just about now, the email is help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. That's help at theinsurancelawyer.ca. And the number we kept mentioning throughout the, uh, the show is 416 216-5910. This has been the Insurance and Injury Law Show on Talk Radio AM 640.